All right, Ryan, we are going live in five, four. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Cup Duet Reviews. My name is Jillian Robinson. I am the Associate Artistic Producer here at Cup of Hemlock Theater. And today I am joined by the exquisite, the incredible co-artistic producer, Ryan Barakovich. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm doing all right, Jill. Dong, 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 dong. dong. Thank you so much for some folly. Hey. Today, Ryan and I have the great privilege and honor to discuss and unpack and gush about It's a Wonderful Life, a live radio play. I'm going to drop the bit now, I think. Yeah, I that was really fun. Yes. So we are going to talk about It's a Wonderful Life, a live radio play happening right now at YPT here in Toronto at the Ada Slate stage. It is directed by Herbie Barnes, and it's adapted by Joe Landry and from the film that we all probably know by Frank Capra. Yeah. So before we dive too far into the fun and the foley, I'll start with our icebreaker. Ryan, what's in your cup? So I just have water today, but I have it in my The Cup Cup because I like nice. to stay hydrated on brand. How about you? What's in your Will cup? you be dunking anything in the water today to make yes. water splashing sound? In order to get the sense that a boy has fallen through the ice, I will drop something heavy and pull it out of here. Obsessed. Uh, you know, blub, blub, blub. I'm not actually going to do that, but you get the idea. How about you? Nice. What's in your cup? I feel like how many times are we going to do punny Foley sounds in this episode? Well, it's fun. Know, It'll be great. Open this door and close it like a car oh, door. Oh my golly. <laughs> I wish I had a big 50s refrigerator right here to do that with, but this little closet door will have to do. Let's <laughs> nice. get you? into that more. What's in um, your cup? Yeah. Yes, I'm also drinking from our The Cup Cup. I've got some cinnamon coffee going in there. And I'm actually drinking some peach-flavored pre-workout right now because I'm going to do some physical activity post this recording. Because, yes, unfortunately, this is a recording. This isn't live. If no. we could somehow make this The Cup episode a live stream, I just think that would be super meta to what we're like going to be discussing today. The technology exists. We could have done that. But for our own True. peace of mind, we should pre-record this. Yes, fair, fair. <laughs> I also feel like we've both got some Christmassy vibes or holiday vibes going on our yeah. ensemble right now, too. Yes, I'm wearing a fun Christmassy type sweater, which fans of the show might remember I wore on last year's Christmas episode on Little Dickens, the Ronnie Burkett puppet show. So I yes. guess it's this is once a year I'll break it out for the more festive types of reviews. How about you? What's on right. your ensemble? Yeah, I've got my little like speckled red and white sort of grandpa-y sweater happening. Super, super cozy. And I've got some snowflakes earrings in, but they are hiding behind my AirPods, but they are there because there, there are snowstorms that happen in this mm -hmm. story. <laughs> So yeah, so let's dive in. I guess, as per usual, Ryan, do you want to give us a little synopsis of if It's a Wonderful Life in case folks <laughs> tuning in aren't as familiar? Like, that's the thing, though. It's a Wonderful Life, which I granted, I don't want to be presumptive and assume that everybody's seen it. I myself never didn't see it until I was like well into my teenage years, which is maybe surprising for some because it is like a staple that I think a lot of people fondly remember from their childhoods probably playing in the background at some Christmas or holiday family gathering. But I grew up in a Jewish household. We didn't necessarily uh, watch all of the Christmas films or expose ourselves to that. So yeah, I didn't see this movie until I was a teenager. 
And I think I've actually only seen it all the way through once. It's that one time seeing it for the first time. And then I've obviously seen clips here and there. But yeah, to to summarize the story feels a little redundant because even if you haven't seen it yourself, you probably know about it through pop culture osmosis. Although there's a good chance you probably know about the last 20 minutes of it more so than the actual full sweep of the story. And maybe we'll talk more about that as we go too. But you know, it's the story, George Bailey, you know, wishes he, you know, maybe was never born at all because of one very bad day and an angel Clarence shows him what he's missing. So that's the general story here. And if, that sounds interesting to you, you should certainly see this uh, piece, but more pertinent to, I think, this particular stage live radio production is that what we are privy to in this performance is a 40s, 50s style radio show recreating that story that we, by and large, know from a film that is itself adapted from a short story into that film, but it's taking what we recognize as that film adapted from the screenplay itself and presenting it as this uh, audio drama. But the fun kicker that makes it more than just a radio play, but also a piece of theater is that we get to see inside that recording studio for the radio show and see the fun ways that the, the performers slash Foley artists create all of these fun sound effects that create the sonic landscape of the performance. So, the, you yeah. know, more Half of the fun of this is seeing the story and seeing the actors do all these fun voices to inhabit these characters we know well from the film. But the other half is this balletic way that they pick up various items, bang them together, rustle them, do whatever they need to into these various microphones that are positioned all over the stage to create the sounds. There was a really interesting thing that uh, one of our performers mentioned at the beginning that if you want the full radio experience, close your eyes and just mm -hmm. let the sounds take you. And I wouldn't recommend people do that, actually, because while that does create the radio experience, I think the fun of this performance is actually seeing how do you make that sound? What is being done here? And just the fluidity with which the performers mm -hmm. move from the microphones where they're doing their lines into the various other pieces of this sound design creation is, I think, what really makes this, above all, a very charming experience. Yeah. Okay, that was a bit of a summary and an appraisal all at once. You want to cut me off, say something? No, <laughs> I, I, I would definitely, yeah, like I thought it was such a delight. My experience with this uh, story, mm -hmm. I have watched this show almost, or watched this show, watched this movie almost mm -hmm. every year, ever since mm -hmm. I was little, and not a big fan, to be honest, mm -hmm. of the movie, because I think big thinker, existential, tiny Jillian was kind of scared of the sort of deep themes that this that the movie sort of unearthed so I yeah I was never a big fan of it my sister-in-law it's her favorite Christmas movie so she we always watch it on Christmas Eve but I always cry every time we watch it I by the end there when the community is coming in and helping out the Baileys and every time a bell rings an angel gets its wings and I'm a puddle sign begins to play and yeah it, it gets mm -hmm. you <laughs> and this live radio play got me as well and also because we'll get into it but I knew one of the performers on stage too so there was like a layered oh my goodness my heart is like so full and happy and yeah, this is definitely a show to go out and add to your holiday festivities. Absolutely. And it's, yes, sure. It's at Young People's Theater and for children and families. But like 
again, It's a Wonderful Life is honestly more for the adults than the kids. The fact that you are seeing the actors do the folly and have a lot of fun and what it means to sort of create a character and sort of the different gestures and voices that you have to tag to go back into that character. Like that's such a fascinating thing, I think, for our younger generation of theater goers and even just kids to experience and see the sort of like complex playground that an actor goes through essentially in every piece they do, but especially in something like this. But it's great fun and classic fun for the adults too. And just to kind of see this story that, like you said, Ryan, is probably playing in the backgrounds of all of your holiday get-togethers and you're so used to kind of hearing Jimmy Stewart and uh, like, it's a wonderful life. Like that's, but seeing this sort of Christmas classic in a different way and through different voices. And yeah, I just think it adds another layer and something different yet traditional to your sort of holiday plans. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I will say just as a comment, I'm sure we'll get into it more as we go on forward too, but you're right. I didn't want to close my eyes through most of it because I did really want to take in all of the scenes, but I'm sorry, and all of like the physicality, the sounds that were happening with the scenes. But there were moments that I did let myself close my eyes just to kind of sit in the medium in which this would have been back, you know, back in the 40s. And um, having had done a couple audio drama um, gigs over the pandemic myself and uh, sort of being in that world, I kind of it did kind of nostalgically bring me back to audio drama recordings um, and sort of, yeah, what it takes in the vocal quality paired with any sonar elements that are kind of backing you up. And there was also moments that, and I don't say this in like a bad way, but moments where there were sounds happening that were like background sounds, but having heard like the same instrument or prop used to make a a certain sound, when that's introduced into a different scene, I kind of closed my eyes and was like, okay, but is that playing the same sound we heard before? Or is that instrument being used to play a different sound? So it kind Mm -hmm. of allowed my senses to kind of only go auditory for a second and be like, okay, what does this mean to me? What's playing? I don't know. I just kind of played around with it. Yeah. No, and uh, um, they, they certainly invite you to do that. And if that sounds like fun, I encourage people to close their eyes. Just don't close your eyes for the whole show because then no, you would yeah. be missing a lot of what I think is the beauty of why this is a piece of theater as opposed to just the behind the scenes track of what could have itself been a radio show. That's all why I brought that up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Before we put up our on-air spoiler alert sign, Mm -hmm. that's going to be our symbol for this episode. Are there any sort of last minute things we want to chat about or talk Uh, up or praise? I think, you know, there's, like I said, there's not a lot to spoil about this because of uh-huh. the fame of the movie and they don't do anything grand or creative with changing that. The main reason to maybe stop before the spoiler is because, you know, we are going to get more granular about the details of this production. So if you already feel like you've heard enough, you know you want to go see it, we, you know, give you the freedom to stop listening now if you don't want us to get more into more of the details, but then come back after. But yeah, yeah. I think at, at this point we've said enough that I think we can, yeah. On air. Spoiler alert. Nice. <laughs> nice. Okay, great. So we're in it. Yeah. I got to right off the top talk about Shaquille. Do okay. It. 
So Shaquille Pottinger graduated the year above me in the theater and drama studies program that I'm an alumni of. And Shaquille's great. Like Shaquille's just someone like at the TDS is the abbreviation for theater and drama studies. At When we would have like program parties to celebrate opening and closings of shows, I would always find Shaquille and we'd just chat about anything and everything and just like catching up each other on like what what's happening in our years and like just like such a wonderful, wonderful, splendid person and an extraordinary and brilliant performer. Shaquille, you are such a gem and our stages are so lovely to have you. So Shaquille plays George Bailey and Ryan had not met Shaquille prior to this and just like Shaquille transformed on stage to, and we discussed this, it's like, the traditional sort of George Bailey, Jimmy Stewart vibes were definitely present, but like also in Shaquille's way of approaching it, which is like really hard to explain, but it's, I always talk about on previous episodes how it's like, oh, I really love like, you know, how that actor fully committed to that character or, you know, the quality in which that actor approached the vocal choices or like physicality for the character. This was interesting because George Bailey, the Jimmy Stewart George Bailey, is so ingrained in our brains. And especially if this is a Christmas classic that's like been in your body since you were taught, like you just think of George Bailey sounding like that. And what Shaquille did with this performance was, again, and having known, seen him perform, Shaquille perform and having known him, it was so like this was Shaquille, but like not throwing away the sort of Jimmy Stewart vibes that we're so accustomed to. But it was like, it was such like so enthralling to watch because it was very much Shaquille's choices and physicality. And then you close your eyes, like an instance of closing your eyes, you're like, oh my gosh, this is Jimmy Stewart vibes. Like, and just like Shaquille also played Lady Bracknell in The Importance of Being Earnest. That was the fourth year show that they're, their year had done the year above me. And again, Lady Bracknell, anyone knowing that character, like it's all about gestures and sort of like, you know, making a choice to raise the voice and put on this air. And just to kind of, again, see Shaquille's actor instrument, his body, his gestures take on George Bailey. And even though that it's technically he's playing Jake Laurent, who played the actor, the 1940s radio actor playing George Bailey. Mm -hmm. Again, there's like this layeredness of like Shaquille playing Jake, playing George. And it was just like, I was mesmerized from top to bottom. Um, the pace in which he flirted with the script, right? Like really slowed us down and like widened his eyes on moments that, you know, the children the main demographic of this audience, which again, I think is tricky to remember as performers is like, you know, this is, it's a wonderful life, a live radio play, but it's under the roof of young people's theater. So your main audience are children, are kids. So not only are you like selling maybe that this story that maybe the kids aren't familiar with, but also in a medium of a staged radio play, which that's not what they're playing on their Xboxes or watching on their Netflix channel although, themselves <laughs> although maybe this generation is already privy to podcasts and that has just replaced that's the true idea that's true of what radio is to, i don't know it's but it's i just true. think like yeah. shaquille is just like such a master at like 
slowing down moments and really like buttering up uh, the pace to keep the kids, the whole audience, especially the kids engaged, but then really allowing himself to gallop and get into that 1940s, 50s cadence where everyone talks like this and it's super fast and you got to just keep it up. And, but you still punch the text. And again, I just think like, if Shaquille is not door nominated for this performance, I don't know who should be like this. This was perfection. That's my talk on Shaquille. Do you want to respond I, to that? Yeah, and well, then we can kind of it's, it's more chat just, about other elements. Uh, it's not even a response. It's kind of just like taking something that you said there, because I think it's sort of the key to understanding why his performance is so effective. And that's, he both was and was not doing a Jimmy Stewart impression, which I think is sort of the perfect summation of it, that it was Jimmy Stewart vibes, but not necessarily just like a, a rote copying of this is how he like inflects this line. Yep. And I, I, I respect that because it is such an iconic, you know, single performer who has done this character, but without, you know, you feel like it's him, but not because he's like, you know, doing a precise impression. Anon, who plays our intrepid host yes. uh, character here, in one moment, because everyone, aside from Shaquille, plays multiple characters, he played George Bailey's father before he passes away. Post spoilers now, George Bailey's father dies. Uh. <laughs> but when he did that character, he did a, like a very pure, precise Jimmy Stewart impression, which I thought worked very well for that minor character because, you know, it's a non-showing off that he can do that voice that like, oh, gee, a Clarence, or not even say yeah. Clarence because of the father, but terrible. I, I can't do the impression. I, I admire these actors. <laughs> actors who can do it so well but but just yeah seeing something that was a very precise jimmy stewart impression on stage made me appreciate Shaqu shaquille's performance all the more so because mm -hmm. i could tell that it was a version of that without being precisely that there was a, yeah. a clear deliberateness to how he approached this character that still allowed him to make it his own and recognizable at the same time yeah and just kind of picking up what you had mentioned, Anand Rajaram, who played our host and a plethora of characters, along with Cliff Saunders, Amy Mavisio, apologies if I'm mispronouncing anyone's name, and Caitlin McInnes. So those were the other cast members who play a bunch of different characters in It's a Wonderful Life. Like, like you just said, Ryan, Shaquille is mainly George Bailey and the rest of them had to play what... I think we were discussing with Shaquille, Soul Pepper did this. They did cast like 30 separate actors to play 30 individual players in the story of It's a Wonderful Life. So this was condensed to the four other actors other than Shaquille are taking on an ensemble of voices and gestures. And what an ensemble and delicious platter of people were brought to the stage based on these four actors' performances. Like... Again, it's such an, it was so fascinating to watch because it's like, yes, back then, and even now with voiceover recordings and voiceover artists, mm -hmm. there's so, you only hear the voice. You don't see what's happening backstage unless there's someone recording like Hugh Jackman doing Wolverine or something where yes, you do see him step back from the microphone and claw forward as he's trying to say his lines. And so again, with this, something like this show where you're watching what would have happened in the studio, but it's also being put on as a live play in 2023, you get to watch these actors, like I said earlier, 
tag into the certain gestures or vocal qualities that they've carved out for themselves to play these different characters. And like all of these other actors other than Shaquille have at least six and then plus voices that they have to tango between. And then going back to like a recorded recording gesture, like when Anon was God and had a gesture, again, those of you just listening, like placing his hand on his face um, while talking to Clarence and that gesture kept returning. So again, it's like repeated gesture is a, like a massive check mark when you are doing large storied pieces of theater that have a lot of different pieces. You see it a lot in solo shows who have to take on and embody different characters and different members of that, a character's family or group or what have you. But with, again, with this show, it's like, you see the actor doing that, like Anon doing that in 2023 to remember God for himself, but also Anon playing Freddie, his, mm-hmm. his radio actor doing that to help him remember that. And then also, like I said, we're under the roof of Young People's Theater. So it's also a wonderful marker and indication and guide post for our audience, i.e. the children to remember and catch on. Oh, okay. God has his hand on his his head on his hand. Like, there's just there's so many layers. It's, yeah, like, sorry, if I could pick up on some of what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, it, it's funny because, like, yeah, there, there was so much of this, like, you know, just very, like, visibly legible ways of knowing when somebody has become a certain character, even though that would have been absent from just, like, a purely auditory, auditory radio experience. I know when every time Cliff played Uncle Billy, he, like, been backed his head like this for those watching mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this on YouTube, not seeing it as a podcast. You don't know what we're talking about because that's radio for you. But, yeah, just... <laughs> But and it's funny because part of that feels like it's for the benefit of the live theater audience watching to add a visual shorthand that wouldn't exist in the radio experience. But like you said, with your Hugh Jackman Wolverine example, doing the claws into the microphone, nobody can see the claws, but sometimes voice actors do need to embody the things. And like, so, you know, part of me is thinking like, is it necessary to have all of these motions? Is it just for the theater audience? But I think it also is a window into how people for cartoons and radio is. do actually approach yeah. their craft. Now, I, I will say this is such a very minuscule minor critique, but I do think part of me might have liked it just a wee bit more. I liked it a lot. So this is so, so minuscule. But there was a lot of things that were very clearly just for the benefit of the theater audience. Like, you know, for example, like if characters are drinking tea or like stirring like the spoon in their teeth, we have other characters doing the foley into another microphone, making that sound like, you know, clanging a spoon against the cup. But I don't know if it's necessary for the characters saying the lines to mimic that motion. I I get what you're going to, I know what you're going to say. And it is the same thing as, you know, the claws or the, but uh, there was that, you know, maybe that's like a small example, but there were a lot of things where it was cool to watch the lamination of the sound on the other side of the room and the miming of the actions here. But I think there were instances where I don't know if that was necessary. And it kind of, I think undercuts like what the actual, how a radio performer would necessarily do things where that action isn't foundational to how they would embody the role, like your claw example. And the, but the bigger example of that is things like a lot of the lighting design, which I thought was interesting, maybe to me feels like it could have been a, a little overdone. Like every time we cut back to God and Clarence, 
having their conversation, mm -hmm. the lighting changes to this like metaphysical blue glow. And that visually tells us the theater audience that we're back to God and Clarence. But part of me might have liked if they recreated more of the neutrality of the lighting in the radio studio, mm -hmm. because that isn't something that would change like in accordance with that. Like they have to be able to embody the metaphysics of this conversation without that, you know, again, visual shorthand that is communicating to the mm -hmm. audience. Oh, this is God now. Or when George Bailey is going back through the multiverse, I guess, to see the version of his life without him or the, the people's lives without him in it. So we get like this weird, like crazy lighting design to show that, you know, something kooky is happening here. And, and I, I wonder if part of that maybe, at least for me, undercuts the what is so interesting about this radio premise is that they're creating it purely with sound, that these visual elements are just there for to make it more theatrical. I, I don't know. I think it's theatrical well, enough without that. I think then it would just be a radio play, right? I think the fact that it's a live radio play and it is a staged play of this, like, I actually disagree with you. I like that there's the added elements of the lights and you have the other actors endowing sort of what the person speaking at the microphone is miming. Because I think, like I said, it, it adds another layer, it lifts, because otherwise I feel like what's the difference if we're just watching through a studio window or just given a copy of this is the radio version of It's a Wonderful Life. Like, I like that there's this like added layer of, like I said in the intro, like actor playground. Like, for instance, when you had Potter banging his... Mm -hmm. Kane. So Annan was doing that. And then you had various actors, but mostly it was Shaquille and Caitlin who would be on the, the little hollow panel of hardwood banging the cane as now they weren't just standing there banging the cane. They were hunched over and their face had like, if I was playing Potter right now, this would be my intention. So that when they bang that cane, it has as much physical and mental and emotional intention as Potter, as much like intention as uh, the character of Potter as Anand is putting into his voice. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like the combination of the two things. And I actually wonder if that was maybe done in the past. This is something probably like well, dramaturgically historically we should be looking up. Well, but like, like we don't need to like know whether or not that's the case for like the sake of just like this discussion reviewing it. But I think you're bringing up the good point that if this is how they would do it in this historical setting, that's fine. Mm -hmm. I just feel like more often than not, it probably wasn't like if an actor just needs to do a cane bang to get that sound, knowing that nobody is watching them, mm -hmm. they probably would just bang the king simpler and not do that so like per, for me but then where's the intention when you do that though well, you know but, but i think the beauty of radio as an art form or audio drama as an art form is that you don't need the intention that it is as long as you successfully make the sound like and you as an actor can imbue that in your process but then you're kind of teetering on just being like daniel day lewis or you're like i need my intention regardless of no whether or not no, no no but like you do like especially having done a lot of like puppetry this year as well like behind a screen where your voice is like you have to sort of like add some sort of like physicality or facial otherwise it's not going to be good well, I, I guess my thinking is, I don't know if you can say that as a blanket statement. Maybe sometimes for some actors, that's the necessary part of your There's process. There's some moments, sure, that, that could have been neutral. But yeah. I, I think something like as packed as Pottinger, as pungent as going, you know, floating us back to Clarence and God and 
at like catapulting us through the metaverse. I think there is there's due diligence to the lights changing and the gestures and the physicality. I think it does just lift. And especially again, especially in 2023, like even though this this play hasn't has existed way before this year, but I'm saying like it's a wonderful life is becoming probably more and more of a relic to kids nowadays. So in something where like maybe some of them have never even seen this story or heard of the story, I definitely think the added theatrical elements can kind of sink them into what's going on, you know? Yeah. Like, I think it's just an agree to disagree. I think dramaturgically my mind would have enjoyed it more if it was just like a, this is actually what a radio station creation mm-hmm. would look like. And that is theatrically potent enough to just see the reality of that without these additional flourishes that maybe do detract from how that is created, regardless of whether or not, like the lighting, for example, I think we can agree that wouldn't happen in a radio station. No, like, no, wh- no. Whether or not yeah. the, the actor intention things, sure, some actors might do that, others not. But yeah, I don't know. To me, I, I felt like that detracted a little bit from my experience. Your mileage will vary, as will all the mm-hmm. kiddos who probably aren't thinking of it true. on this level. That's true. They're not <laughs> diving as deep as we are. But let's talk about some of like the folly props and instruments yeah. used, because I think that's kind of a fun little little game. So one of them, actually, there was a question and answer session uh, to the show that Ryan and I got to tune into. And one of the kids asked like, such a cute, like an instant question and like facts. Um mm-hmm. Why did you choose to use an old fridge as the car door? So yes, there was an entire like old 1950s-esque fridge at the back of the stage at any time George was getting into a cab or you had any, yeah, any sort of automobile in the story, the opening and closing of the door was the sound of the opening and closing of an old fridge. Mm -hmm. And it was like perfect. And again, the response, the cast response was, you know, back then car doors were heavier as well. And so we wanted to get an instrument or an item to act as an instrument that had the same heaviness that the doors would have and also like the handle. So there we go. It's an old fridge. So that's just one example. But it's so interesting, like figuring out all of the different props and instruments you want to use as your folly. And then once you figured that out, then it's almost like a page from like an I spy Mm -hmm. book where you're like, I have to position these all in a certain way on stage where it's going to look like clutter, but actually they're positioned close enough to a microphone. And also you'd probably have to go through like, again, the ASMs, the SMs on this project, like chef's kiss because, Mm -hmm. and the director's choices as well behind this of positioning, like where you want to put your props so that you know this person uses this and then they use that like is the actor's track short enough for them to jump from this table to the next or like can these props live here or should they not because this sound needs to come from over here like there's there's such a blueprint that would have to be organized for the yeah. folly plan i love that that's where my brain is going oh no it it, it is it, there is definitely I was going to say an art to it, but there are multiple arts going on at once here. And just like the, Mm -hmm. what sounds create what things, where to place them on the stage, how the actors get from one to the other is like, I described it as a ballet earlier. And I think there's no better way to put it that this is the the confluence of so many different types of very thoughtful, considered artistic choices coming together into something so beautiful in this way. And like in the attention to detail, like every different door 
like they had this one kind of door prop that they use a lot of times but depending on what space you're entering like do we ding a little bell before it because we're going into a shop or you know are mm-hmm. we you know and there's something that oh another one i remember that's really cool is they always had like these two shoes that they kind of created footsteps with and i remember watching it thinking like well is that necessary couldn't they just like bang their own feet but then it occurred to me that for you know a radio cast you probably want very like soft sole shoes so that you don't accidentally get your yes. feet in there so every time they do need footsteps it's better to mm-hmm. create it manually instead of just like letting your own sound of your own walking because that's makes it easier to control all yeah. of this is really about controlling every single sound i really love there was sorry you, you want to shout out some too or no well okay. just saying like some of the props some of the foley is made by literally what is being used so for instance there's a scene where mary's mom is baking and she's literally using a bowl and a whisk mm-hmm. Or when someone is sipping tea, it is a literal sea and and tosser. Wow. Tea and saucer. Hearing the clink. When you have um, Potter's uh, cane, you're actually hearing a cane on the hardwood. But then you switch over to the sort of non-traditional Foley choices. So a fire crackling is actually like yeah. some like tinsel looking cardboard that is just being jumbled up to the microphone, yeah. you know, or like the sloshing of the water is like a big bucket, like making, mm-hmm. yeah, making the water go. And I actually loved when, whenever the water like came up, like they weren't afraid to like sprinkle the water back uh-huh. into the studio. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and Cliff did something funny when his radio character was being introduced at the beginning where he pulled a comb out of that water and like it kind of yes. flipped it all over the place like to, you know, prank his castmates, I guess. But then yeah. he has no hair. So then it was funny. Like, what do you even need the comb for? And mm-hmm. that's another kind of interesting thing of like the props not being something that's nece- necessary for the actors, but showing like, oh, I have it to make this specific gag, which, yeah. which I think was really fun. Well, yeah. And I think to add to the gags too, like you could tell... Like, yes, it's such a beast of just maneuvering and doing the folly and using the props and having the te- the text, but then also seeing like the actual character actors, like maybe forgetting it's their turn or something. I think there, there was one instance, I can't remember the, the character was up. Yeah. Well, no, not even the news that, that too, but it was a- Amy was eating like, like the actor was like, I'm not on for a um, while and just yeah. eating like a biscuit or something. And then realizing she's on and just oh, yeah. throwing the platter and running to the microphone. Which I have point- to assume that one was planned. To of course, kind of, of course. Well, yeah. No, but like, I, I do want to clarify that because it made for a funny gag within the show that could have been accidental, but it's showing that no, no, no. Of, yeah. These types of accidents happen. And that's it's part of the intricacy of the show is to stage one for the sake of demonstrating that, which I thought was exactly, exactly. Well, cause again, like we see just actors doing this show, but it's actually Sally Applewhite, Lana Sherwood, Jake Laurent, Freddie Fillmore, Harry Jasbo Haywood. Mm -hmm. Those are our characters, but they are actors doing the show. So (laughs) see, I I want to talk. So I feel like I guess Lana Sherwood, was like, oh my goodness, I'm supposed to be on. Yeah. Well, see, and that's something that if we could talk about that for a moment, because to me, this, I guess, is maybe, I I see your point in kind of bringing that up, but I guess this is more just a gripe with Joe Landry, the adapter, that I I don't know if that extra layer of like characterization artifice is really necessary, considering, because when I saw that on there, that each of these actors is playing, the real actors is playing a fake actor who's then playing a variety of characters within the film. 
I was expecting that it's going to be something kind of like Noises Off, for example, where there's a whole separate plot line going on within the inner workings of the lives of these people in the radio mm. station. And they're, you know, coming together as a team to make this show. Maybe something even like Charlie Brown Christmassy of the play is ruined and they need to refine their Christmas spirit to finish making the play. I, I don't know. But in the absence of something like that, and I'm not saying it needed to have that, there's enough going on in this play without it. I think I would have just preferred if we could neutralize that extra layer of artifice and let it just be that each of the real actors as the radio cast playing this, which is what it is. Like, I don't know. Do you have I disagree again. Yeah. We're, we're, we're allowed to disagree on these things. <laughs> no, I guess. Just because I think it does add like a, that other like cheeky layer. And this, I think this company, so I had seen the show done at the lot uh, a couple years back as well. So with this, the YPT company in particular, it did seem like the, that layer of like actor character playing George Bailey, Mary, et cetera, et cetera was a little bit subtler in the lot production I saw there was a lot of like behind the scenes characterization that were happening where you did kind of get a flavor of like who Jake Laurent really is in real time 1940s or like who this new debuted Sally Applewhite like this sort of like ingenue behind the scenes thing I think it just adds like an again another layer to playground as like actor and director. And I think you can go as far or as short with it. Like, I think you're right. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be there, but I think it's kind of, it's cute and cheeky that this adapter decided to be like, no, we're going to get actors playing actors who play these characters. And and like I said, if, if they had leaned into that more, like it sounds like the lot version did a little bit with probably not Mm -hmm. even that much, just by virtue of the fact that there's not really room in the text for it. And you're busy enough doing like your roles and the folly that there probably is only so much you can do with it. I, to me, it's just more of like an all or nothing. I feel like there wasn't enough done with this convention to justify the addition of this extra meta layer for meta's sake. It's interesting because I think you could go and and I didn't I I haven't seen this in this like in both the iterations I've seen of the live radio play but it's funny like it, it would be really funny to see it quite comical like quite grotesque like where again like just as an example like Sally Applewhite being new to this is her debut radio play and it's a wonderful life like mm-hmm. And maybe there's some like neuroses there or like some like, yeah, uh, uh, and and she's like stumbling and it's funny, like stumbling over something instead of like, maybe she has like somewhere where she's supposed to pick up a prop and make a noise, but she trips to get there and it makes a better noise than what the noise was supposed to be. And then like, that's like a layer of comedy of like, oh gosh, what did I do? But like having the other actors being like, like that sounded yeah. great. Are you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and, and or, that's exactly what I'm saying. I would love to yeah. see more of these kinds of things, but in the absence of them, it just felt like it's overcomplicating what is ultimately a very simple premise. True, true. Mm-hmm. And I do wonder too. Again, I think what I just suggested, like adding that layer of heightened comedy baked in, that would be lovely for a company that's just doing this show. Um, the fact that it's YPT, like I, I do like that they didn't get super grotesque with it. Not to say like, you know, children audiences are less smart by no means. I actually will argue, I think children audiences are smarter than adult audiences, but I just think, yeah, that extra layer of comedy of heightenedry wasn't needed, you know, just for the story, for the demographic that, yeah, Yeah, this iteration is for. Great. I also want to chat about the set 
because I know we talked about uh, the folly does take up a lot of the set. But I just I, I really loved too just the backdrop of the studio. It's like it's this sort of pungent, like a little bit deeper than sky blue painting on the walls, and you've got like a furniture kind of flanking both sides of the stage. It just was like this nice warm studio. Again, as like an actor, I'm like, yeah, that's a play space that I'd like to be in. There it is. Like just this nice warm blue hue. You've got the clock at the top, which was a working Mm -hmm. clock. And it was like Mm -hmm. to the T, you know, at 15 minutes, we had the over, you know, the say like actors were on in, on air in 15 minutes and then you saw the clock go to 10:30 from that 10:15 call and the show started and it was 85 minutes and the clock ended at 85 minutes we love a working clock yeah i just thought it was like perfectly set dressed the space like neutral enough like obviously that's not the main sort of theatrical player in this piece is the set and but i i did really think it was spot on and and it, it is main in the sense that it is the radio station that this is mm-hmm. it, like it, it, you know we had our on-air symbol we had the big probably like two-way mirror that we couldn't see the other side of but you know there there is something to be said now it's obviously a lot more spacious than i think the kind of period accurate radio booth would mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. seem like but no it was a perfect way of not recreating the set of It's a Wonderful Life, but creating the radio set where It's a Wonderful Life is being created with all of these fun props that we just described. Yeah. So with that, though, the Ada Slate stage, so I had never been in that space before and nor have you, correct? Yes. Yeah, to my recollection, maybe I did like a children's field trip there once as a kid, but I don't really recall. I haven't been there as an adult who consumes a lot of theater, not gonna lie. Right. But the sort of like ambiance is like kind of like every building down in the distillery district, St. Lawrence market vibes where you have like an old building that is bricked interior. And so like the Ada Slate stage very much is that like, it's a large auditorium. You do have your theater seats, but the walls are brick and you do see sort of like the piping. So that was kind of interesting to having this piece. Like you just said, Ryan, it's like, we're in a radio station space and like we are sitting sort of like maybe where the producer would be sitting or like on the other side of the wall but these again there's probably in like a bricked sort of industrial studio looking space too yeah i just thought it it lended it almost kind of felt site specific in a way Mm -hmm. you know it lended itself to that no indeed for sure Uh I think we're probably running a little long on this one. There's one last thing that I feel like is worth bringing up, and it was something that you brought to my attention uh, Mm -hmm. after we came back from the show. And again, such a minor light critique thing, but it's something we're thinking about. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, uh, yeah. Do do you want to introduce it then? I don't want to take a point from you. (laughs) Yeah, I just, so at the beginning of the piece, so Anand comes out and as Freddie and, but is breaks the fourth wall there basically also. So coming out just as a representative of the team about to do this show and kind of gets the crowd warm by saying, you know, you can clap, 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 clap. You can cheer, 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 cheer. You can cry if you get sad. So kind of opening the veil of reaction from the audience throughout the show. And it wasn't until, yeah, like after we came home that I was like, oh, right. There were moments that like, in just instinctually I laughed, but there wasn't like moments in the script where, 
you know, there was like a sign or like a flash of like audience applause or like, mm-hmm. like, oh, like, you know, right. and this isn't to say, you know, I just finished doing like three pantos of the past year. So I'm very much in like audience participation and like really coming back and feeding that. So that's not to say like, why wasn't that there? But it just noted that it wasn't really, there was that Im- invitation to do so. And I think, again, kids were laughing. People were, you know, not afraid to make noise. But it was interesting to me that in the script alone, there weren't callback moments to like clap, 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 or like, oh, oh, or this, like you know? the classic panto. Oh, no, you don't. Oh, yes, I do. Like, yeah, it felt like they sort of wrote a check that they never cashed by having that as this little prologue there that mm-hmm. please do audience participate, but without the kind of deliberate pauses or invitations for that, it didn't, didn't really pay off in that regard. Although it is nice to have the freedom to laugh and cry, but yeah, I would have liked to see in response to that opening invitation, more of a, a, you know, baked into the the architecture of the piece. Yeah. And and that might even just be like in the the script, right? In the writing alone. I'm I'm sure more so than anything. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Because like, obviously all the performers that we have on the stage have done TYA, like theater for young audience shows in the past and like our absolute experts in Mm -hmm. grabbing audience attention. So it's, yeah, it would would just be interesting, like being in the table work session or being in the room when they cracked this piece open of like, if that was discussed, right? Of, oh, right. We, again, Mm -hmm. we tear down the fourth wall and we do invite all this audience reaction and we do have that relationship with them. But then again, we get wrapped up into this beast of a show. And yes, there is a lot. It's not like there's any actors that aren't doing anything because they're constantly always doing something either with their voice or with their props and instruments. But yeah, it just, I wonder if there was ever any discussion of building in and checking think, back in with the audience, I guess. And I think it's interesting because, and I think this goes back to something we were talking about earlier about like the adding the theatricality in what is otherwise the radio sort of mm-hmm. medium because mm-hmm. radio is you know, unless you're caller number seven who can name that tune, there isn't really a lot of interactivity with an right. audience in the medium of radio. And the fact that this is based so pointedly on a film, which, you know, has no audience participation, that you are completely cut off by the literal fourth wall of the screen when you watch a film, that mm-hmm. I it, more labor, and I think this is why, it, like you said, it is the writing, more labor could or should have been put into embracing the theatricality if it's something they wanted to but that opening invitation makes it seem like it is something they were invested in of seeing okay this is partly a piece of theater how can we put those elements into this make it more theatrical and if they didn't want to do that's fine it works very well but then you could have just cut that little introductory prologue i suppose yeah yeah things to think about but (laughs) all in all Definitely see this show because, again, my mind was blown at the trajectory and the expertise that was backed behind, again, all of the Foley paired with all of the varying voices that were heard and the energy and the gusto that that this piece takes. It's phenomenal and it's a classic. And I definitely think, like I said, Ryan and I were misty and teary at the end and Mine was multi-layered. It was, oh, it's a wonderful life. You got me again. But also like, wow, Shaquille, you are absolutely slaying it on stage. Yeah. This is amazing. Theater in Toronto rocks. 
So yeah, so make your way to the Ada Slate stage at Young People's Theater to see It's a Wonderful Life, a live radio play directed by Herbie Barnes, happening now through to December 30th, 2023. So you can catch it post-Christmas festivities if that's the holiday you're celebrating. Yeah, and definitely, I would definitely see this. Definitely Mm -hmm. see for various, like we said, various reasons. Warms the heart. It's also a lovely peek into the hard work that actors and creative teams put into a piece like this. Yeah. So on that note, happy holidays, everyone. Before we officially sign off, Ryan, where can people find and follow you? No need to find and follow me personally, but if you like me and you like hearing me talk about theater, you could just follow Cup of Hemlock Theater. It's the show you're watching right now or listening to with your radio ears. But it's we are at COH Theater on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We are Cup of Hemlock Theater on YouTube, Cup of Hemlock Theater podcast in all the podcast places. You're watching this on one of those. Like, share, subscribe, do all the things. How about you, nice. Jill? Where can people find and follow you? Yes, again, Cup of Hemlock. Yes, you can follow there. Thank you for plugging, doing all that legwork there, Ryan, as always. If you'd like to keep in touch with me at Jillian Robinson, you can follow my artist Instagram account at JillianRobinson.96. You'll see some posts of covers of songs, some upcoming projects potentially down the lane. Yeah. So that's where you can catch me. Nice. So definitely catch this show and spend the season catching up with friends and family or just catching up on sleep and rest and relaxation. It is the end of the year. So be kind to yourselves, everyone. Drink lots of water, take lots of naps, and we'll see you all in the next episode of Cup. Cheers.